Hello, everyone, and welcome to For the Good of the Game, a unique football podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills as shared personally by NFL alumni. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another edition of For the Good of the Game. Today, I have the distinct honor and privilege of hosting Lieutenant General Retired Don Campbell as our guest on the podcast. Because of my veteran status as an Army retiree, I plan to conduct regular interviews with fellow veterans who also happen to love the game of football. Lieutenant General Campbell certainly fits that description. He's a Kansas State alumnus and often speaks very highly of his Wildcats. Lieutenant General Campbell began his military service as a second lieutenant in the 1st Infantry Division at Fort Riley, Kansas, and his career culminated as a three-star general in Germany as the commanding general, U.S. Army, Europe, and 7th Army. I had the honor of serving under Lieutenant General Campbell twice while I worked at U.S. Army Recruiting Command on Fort Knox, so it is with great pride that I welcome Lieutenant General Retired Don Campbell to the podcast. Sir, welcome aboard. John, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'll tell you what, this is, uh, it's a real honor for me, and uh, you know, I, I, I go back, I, I mentioned to you when we spoke uh, earlier in the month, uh, talking about setting this up, I have a very fond, albeit short memory at the All-American Bowl of playing catch with you on the sidelines in the Alamo Dome. And I, I knew that you had to have been around football at the time because you threw a really pretty spiral. So I, I knew that, you know, you had it in your blood regardless. Um, I, what I want to do today, sir, is to kind of allow you to start at the beginning, as it were, and talk a little bit about your involvement as a multi-sport athlete uh, growing up prior to getting to Kansas State. Sure, John. Thanks. Well, as I, I think I told you earlier, um, my father went to college on a football scholarship. I wasn't uh, as good an athlete, but having been around him and his love, especially football, because uh, he played uh, college football at a small school in uh, North Carolina called Davidson. And he actually, my mom and dad had me when they were still in college and he was on scholarship. Uh, and in those days, you had to take ROTC. So um, he took it, uh, fell in love, uh, knew that he wasn't going to play professional football, fell in love with the Army and went on to him. A uh, 25-year career himself, retired as a colonel. But I really developed my love for sports from my dad um, because we would toss the football around, shoot baskets, play baseball. And up until I got to high school, I played football at every at every level. Didn't play in high school, but I certainly played uh, basketball and, and football. Uh, and so that's kind of where I got the, the sports blood in me. And um, it, it led me um, it, it, at the point when I was in high school after I knew I wasn't going to play college sports, wasn't quite big enough or probably uh, maybe not quite as athletic as I needed to be. But I certainly still had a love for the game and most games, basketball, football and baseball. I think I've migrated more to football now from a watch standpoint since I've stopped playing as I've gotten older. But it, the, the love of the game developed um, early on with my father and then certainly continued as I uh, was in the Army as a lieutenant and um, played for the post uh, our post uh, team um, and then uh, and led our battalion uh, proudly to the post championship at Fort Riley in 1982 as a, as a young Army uh, armor officer captain. Uh, but let me just start by saying that um, having played sports early on, played intramural sports really all the way up through probably a kernel level, um, 
my love for sports um, continues to this day, but it really has been a solid foundation for me as a leader growing up in the Army from lieutenant all the way to three-star general. And we can talk about that during the course of uh, this podcast because it, what it helped me do was understand the dynamics of where um, I thought I needed to take the team based on guidance from my bosses. And I always talk in terms of team, you know, growing up, um, Wichita State, and I can't remember his name for the life of me right now, but they had a basketball coach who uh, really had an impact on me. That's hard that I can't remember his name, but the jerseys, uh, their, their, their shorts, remember the shorts in those days uh, were the real short ones. But he had to, what he put uh, T-E-A-M down the side of his shorts. And the analogy, and, and the acronym was together each achieves more. And that really had a, it really had an influence on me early on because it, it made sense as a young lieutenant that, you know, we were going to have to do things as a team to be successful. Whether, and, and I was an armor officer for all those years, so we would go to Tank Gunnery even though I had my own tank, I was still responsible for four other tanks at the time. Uh, and I had to make sure that those four other tanks were as well-trained as my crew was, but, but I had to make sure I was well-trained and that as the tank commander, I knew what I was doing and that I could qualify my tank. There's probably no more pressure on a lieutenant than going down table, what they call table eight, which is your qualification run. Uh, on a on a gunnery range, so that really really helped me understand the value of okay, I got to be individually prepared, I got to be ready to go, but I got to make sure my team is ready to go, uh, and then I parlayed that into company command, which is where I now had fourteen tanks, one of mine and thirteen more. Same sort of philosophy. Now I'm responsible for more. Now I've got three lieutenants working for me um, instead of a handful of sergeants and other sergeants too. And then it just keeps growing up and up and up until I was fortunate enough to command a corps at the three-star level, 50,000 soldiers, take your pick on how many, couple divisions and, and a whole host of, of, of every piece of inventory in the Army. Um, but I'll tell you, no matter what level I was at, whether it was platoon or three-star at Fort Hood or in the United States Army Europe, um, my philosophy was always to focus on the team and to make the 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 the, the uh, soldiers that worked uh, not for me but for part of the organization and I tried never to use the word me or I um, even in the army um, today uh, on retired five years uh, I, I don't use that word when I talk about my experience per se as a leader because I don't really believe that it has any bearing on the organization it's the organ you know it, you're you're given the opportunity to command at many levels in the Army. Um, and I was very fortunate to command just about to the highest level. Um, but you're, it, it's just an opportunity for a couple to three years. You're, it's, not, it's not ever yours. It's the Army's, and you're there to help lead it for a short period of time until they decide they want you to do something else or retire. And so um, for me, it was always about the team, and I tried to make it that way. Even like once again, as I said, is the three-star level, um, and I, I believe we're fairly successful at doing that. Um, in, in the army, um, I give you a little bit of tidbit: you get peer rated uh, once you become a general officer. Now they have had peer ratings for junior officers and even more senior up to colonel, but the generals have been doing it for years and years and years. 
And so as a one star, I would peer rate one stars. It would even peer rate two stars and three stars. Uh, four stars are kind of on their own. Um, but all the way up to three star, you got peer rated by those folks. And I was pretty proud of the fact that for the 10 years, close to 10 years that I was a general officer, the majority of the comments about my leadership style said that I was one of the better team players in the army and team builders. And so that really resonated with me, uh, especially as a junior one star, because it, it had been something of, it was the foundation of my leadership style. And I just decided at an earlier age that I was going to, even as a Lieutenant Colonel, I was going to continue. So it, it helped me look back and go, okay, the things that I was talking about as a young armor major, um, a battalion commander as a Lieutenant Colonel made sense, uh, from the teaming standpoint. And I all, and it goes back to the foundation of, of what we were talking about earlier. And that was the sports, uh, exactly. it just the tie is so close, whether it's you pick the sport, but because we're talking football, especially in football. I wanted to kind of delve into that a little bit and talk about how, as you uh, went through your career, and of course, the Army always had values, but there was a big push on this uh, when the Army revised its stance on values and went to the acronym leadership, L-D-R-S-H-I-P. And I wanted to uh, kind of transition into that and let you talk a little bit about how that team building uh, persona that you developed uh, really was built on those values and how you incorporated those into, you know, your leadership challenges. Yeah, John, no, it, it's, um, it, it's good you mentioned that. The, the, the values of the Army, um, as you said, from loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage, um, really the foundation and they really came to the forefront and I really started thinking of them in terms of leadership when I got to battalion command because that's the first level where you really have a lot of a lot more responsibility I mean you always did as a lieutenant and you certainly did as a captain all those sure. young men and now women certainly because uh, there are women in the armor field now too um, but certainly as a battalion commander uh, that that acronym resonated with me um, and in terms, because if you think about, you're always asking the team uh, to be loyal, and then you in turn have got to self-reflect and say, am I being loyal to the team? Am I doing all I can to support this team and giving them the resources and the, the training and the leadership that they're going to need to be ready for combat? And you think that way all the way through and the personal courage that we ask soldiers then and now. Uh, to go into combat. So it really resonated with me. And I tried to make sure that our soldiers understood the importance of that acronym and the importance of those values as they looked at themselves and as they looked at the unit, because I wanted the unit to be known as one that would always be a go-to unit. You know, you want that team on the field. You want that, that team to be ready to go. Um, and so using those values kind of helped me focus myself from a leadership standpoint as a professional now that I've made the jump from commanding and leading, you know, a, a few number of soldiers to now a greater number and then look into the future. Similarly, a brigade command and then at the, at the one, two and, and three star level, I think it becomes even more important um, because men and women today. And I think they're really no different from when I came in the army in 1978, want good, seek good leaders. They seek leaders who can relate to them. They seek leaders who espouse the same values as them. The army certainly does. 
and they seek leaders who will go out of their way to make sure that uh, they're going to take care of their soldiers, um, just like a good football coach would take care of his team. And that's not always doing the the easy wrong. It's doing the hard right. Exactly. Uh, uh, like on, on your, your, um, your Facebook page, um, speaking about the, the high school coach down here in uh, Texas that suspended his leading rusher, probably one of the, if not the top running back recruit in the country because he wasn't following the rules. Exactly. Uh, and so for me, it was also always about doing the hard right over the easy wrong. Um, and, and, you know, at some point you got to step back and say, that's probably good for the organization. And oh, by the way, that team went on to win the state championship this weekend. So they won without their probably best player, uh, which goes to show you that uh, not that they made the right decision. I'll let other people be the judge of that. But that, you know, if you set the conditions right, even without your best player, you, you can do well. So that's what we would also try to do um, is make sure that we set the conditions is you look at the values to make sure that our soldiers, they lived them and taught them and then could uh, execute them um, in and out of combat. And I was fortunate, I don't know about fortunate, but I did take a, 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 a armor brigade to combat. Um, and preparing that unit over the course of the 18 months that I did, not knowing up until probably a few weeks before we started deploying all of our equipment and then subsequently followed it, that we were gonna go to combat those values began to really resonate in my mind because now I was going to do something I had not done for, you know, almost 30 years or 25 years, probably 25, um, was even though I had prepared for combat my whole life, now I was really going to go. And I was going to ask uh, my so our soldiers, once again, not my, but our soldiers um, to, to, do something that's pretty dadgum hard and that's face an enemy regardless of how strong or weak they are with the knowledge that you know we could lose folks we could lose soldiers and i think then it really it really dawned on me wow these, these values do really mean something when you're talking in terms of loyalty duty respect selfless service honor integrity now personal courage they're all important at this point you're really talking personal courage because there were there were a few people in units all across the division i was in which was here at fort hood that uh, had folks that all of a sudden came up with injuries uh and a lot of reasons some of them all for the right reason some of them not so right um who won't live in the army values and i would say it was a very small percentage so i don't want to dwell on that but the point was you could see during tough times who was going to step up. And I would say 99% of the soldiers did. There was a few that didn't. But I think it really resonated with me that um, now, after doing this for 25 years, once again, I'm going into combat. These values are going to be, they've always been important, but now they're going to be even more important because we want to make sure that our soldiers are doing the right thing um, and that they're focused on those values. Uh, as a team in combat uh, and that work that I had been doing through my whole career to prepare for it probably made it, it in my mind made a difference uh, because it gave me the mental toughness the physical stamina from working out pretty much my whole life um, and then making sure that the soldiers that were that I was going to take into combat 
uh, we're doing similarly and that we could prepare them to the very best of our ability. So yeah, pretty important that you, you work the values throughout it, it, at every level. Um, and if I could just say this real quick, mm -hmm. and think about this. Uh, so I got a nephew who's 18, who, who's 19 now, just enlisted last year, went to basic training and, and one station unit training, his follow on after basic to become a combat engineer. Um, and to assimilate a young man like that or a young woman into the army and inculcate those values in them. Uh, now he can, he can say them cause he knows the acronym. But as I was talking to him after he got his airborne wings and I pinned his airborne wings on him, um, I think it, it, he had a better appreciation for, wow, these values really do mean something. And I understand why as part of a team, a really large team at, at a lower level, I, I've got to understand and live the army values. It's not just talking them now, now I'm living them. And I think that's really important for folks to understand. Uh, and so the, and I tie that all the way back to the importance that we said from the beginning, the teamwork, whether it's on the football field or it's on the fields of Afghanistan or Iraq where I was, it's important that the, the team serves as a team and focuses as a team, whether it's at the platoon level or in my uh, case, the brigade level to command and combat. And at that point, I'll be quiet for a minute. Well, no, I, I, I love the, uh, I love the linkage in that, you know, for those people that may not have a lot of knowledge of the army, uh, but, but love football for anyone that's coached football from, I would say youth up through, I haven't, I haven't coached beyond high school. So I, although I played at college, um, but it's, you know, you put together a game plan, you, you practice fundamentals from the beginning of the season and you bring those fundamentals to bear by position and then by unit offense, defense, special teams, and you get ready. And for, for those people who may be listening that don't know, the army has a very similar game plan. And for each type of unit within the army and at each level, they train on fundamentals. There are skills that soldiers have to learn that are individual skills that all ultimately add up to collective skills in a team, a squad, a platoon as you go up the chain. And there, that's why for me, there were so many similarities between what I did my whole life in football and the approach that we used as I was training soldiers, both with and in charge of training soldiers as I you know, became more senior. And I, I love the, uh, uh, when you have that, um, that piece uh, going on in your mind, I think it's very easy to make the connection if, you, if you've done both. And certainly uh, the, the leadership values or the, the army values uh, within uh, the context of what you spoke of apply both ways. Let me add to that point, John, because you just triggered something that I think is real important. And, and when I was command and recruiting command, um, I had the opportunity to visit um, the Austin area with one of our brigade commanders at that time, Bob Acom, who you know fairly well, Colonel Bob Acom. And Bob was commanding our fifth uh, brigade down in San Antonio. And we did it uh, what we call an offsite. So we did a, a, a visit and we went to the University of Texas. But it just so happened, Bob and I were sports fans. And he said, sir, we're going to go to the University of Texas. But we're going to go. We're going to go to the football program. And it was unfortunate at that time, Mac Brown was the coach. Of course, he's back at Carolina now, North Carolina, uh, who went, you know, got him into the bowl game this year at six and six. But 
um, Mac was the coach, but he was he was actually on uh, out of country on a USO tour, believe it or not. Wow! But we got a great tour of the facility, you know, kind of it, it, through the eyes of somebody that was coming into the program as a as a as a recruit or a new freshman to kind of walk through the whole complex. But what struck me about that visit was, and I knew there were always similarities between football and sports and, and the army and where we were going with leadership and coaching. But it dawned on me at every step that we took in this program, whether it was a physical part of it or something that they would talk, there were, the word discipline was everywhere. The discipline, discipline team, discipline approach, disciplined personally, professionally as a team. And they were really, really proud of the fact that the university at Texas in the football program, that they were they were growing and training young men to be really good at what they did in football, but to try to make them better for society when they got done playing football, whether it was in pros or they were finished at the collegiate level. Sure. And they were very, you know, what struck me was they went to the Rose Bowl when they won the national championship with uh, Vince Young as the quarterback. And the year, forget, I'm getting older, but I know they did that, you know, when they beat USC, USC in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Vince Young scored a touchdown to win the game, um, but they were they were obviously very very proud of that. But they were almost as proud of the fact that when they went to the dinner before the game with both teams there, when the Rose Bowl court walked in, this is a small point, but they had trained their young men to be gentlemen, and when all the ladies walked into the room, you know the, their football team stood up. Um, uh, held the door, did the things. Now we we can argue about okay, maybe some folks don't want that done now, but proper etiquette at the dinner table. I mean, they even had a program on how you you know okay, you start with the outside of your fork and you work your way. I mean, but little Emily post action. Think about building a, a person for fu- the future. Now, sure. I used to get kids give my kids a hard time about someday you're gonna you're going to go to a business meeting and they would always go, oh, dad, you always talked about the business meeting. Lo and behold, my daughter and son had both come to me now in their thirties and said, dad, you were right. Jeez. You know, it was important that I, I know how to eat and do things like that. So I'm, make, I'm making light of it, but well, I guess I will tie it back to the team and the discipline of the organization to, to understand they were growing young men to be, to go to school, to play football, but also for something bigger. And I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, and we try to do that in the army. So sure. I'll take that back to the army. You do the same thing. You take an 18 year old, as I was saying, my nephew was 19 when he went, but you take him off the street of, you know, Marble, Marble Hill or Marble Hill, Missouri. I wouldn't say in the middle of nowhere, but it's a pretty small little town. And now you've thrust him into the army to, for him to understand the values, the team, and all the things that go with it. I think that's pretty important. And we're growing him, whether he stays in for his enlistment of four years to come out as a veteran. And, and I would like to think, be a better person for it. Similarly, in college, in, in whether it's high school, sports, or college, if, in my opinion, if the coach is really setting the conditions properly, they're setting up those young men, in some cases, young women now, uh, for the future, whether they can continue to play in college or beyond. I think that's important. I do too. And I think that foundation crosses over from one to the other for those that may get an opportunity to do both. 
And I, uh, I, I love the fact that so many programs now have begun to build uh, businesses, have begun to build programs that focus on uh, the veteran community, uh, whether they be retirees or just veterans from having served a, a period of time less than retirement, that uh, because they know the values, they know the dedication, the maturity, the discipline that is built. Uh, and, uh, you know, at many programs at the, at the high school and college level are successful in doing that as well with many sports, but certainly football to be one. Um, sir, as you went through, and when you think back about your journey, one thing that, that, uh, I know frustrated me as a junior leader and even as a staff guy is one of the interesting conundrums that we have in the military, particularly the army is that senior leaders, particularly at the two-star level and above, uh, as you commented on a minute ago, do get changed out generally 18 months to, you know, 24, 30 months, you know, at a, at a shot. So when you start talking about what's so important in the military, which is, uh, you know, having a short-term mission and vision and values juxtaposed with the strategic vision is difficult when a guy or, or woman is there for two years and they put their thumbprint on it and then the new person comes in and switches it all up. So as you grew and, and certainly, you know, achieving success at, at one of the highest levels within the military, within the Army, and you went along that journey, how many of those lessons learned, be it the ones you talked about with sports or the ones you learned as you were, you know, a junior leader, uh, kind of carry forward as you went on to become more senior in the military. Maybe you have some reflective moments where you thought, "Oh yeah, I remember that," and and how those cross over between the army and certainly civilian life. Yeah, John, I think um, you know, at a certain point, you're 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 at that tipping point, and I think you probably could see it from your perspective as a colonel. Um, you've got to make the transition from really. Um, being pretty narrowly focused to to have an, as you said, you go from the tactical to the operational, and the, and then to the strategic. Um, and it, when you know, when I think in terms of that, when you're talking sports teams, your top ten college programs or your top ten professional programs, you know, the the, the coach is from I don't know if he's the CEO or the CEO. I'll let you decide that. But as the head of the organization from a football standpoint, similarly as the head of an organization in the army, or I would equate business, you, you gotta be able to have that strategic vision to kind of look and say, this is where I wanna take the organization. So instead of, okay, I wanna be all about discipline. I wanna be about this, I wanna be about this, cause that's still there. But now you gotta be able to say, this is where we are and this is where I wanna go. Um, and it, you know, I'm not even, it, we could argue all day about who's got the best college football program, but the one I like to focus on is, is, you know, um, Nick Saban, uh, from his success standpoint, maybe not so much this year, but look at the turnover in the organization from you lose your offensive coordinator, you lose your defensive coordinator every couple of years or every year in his case, and, and you're still competing year in and year out for an SEC championship or to get to the SEC championship. And first year, they've not been in the playoffs. Right. But my point is the ability, what I learned was the ability, um, and this took this was hard because you, you have guys and gals that have done some great work for you through the years, 
and you want to keep bringing them back, but you know that you can't because professionally it's not where they need to be. And I could be hindering them. So my point with respect to the transition in Alabama was the transitions in the army and the ability to take different pieces, piece, and that's probably not a good word, but to take different people every few years and put them into positions of leadership, staff, or command and say, I, I need, I, I'm going to ask you to do this for the next 14, 12, 24 months, whatever it may be. And so what I gained an appreciation for was, yeah, I'd love to have my same team every year, but that's just not going to be possible in the Army, especially at the senior leader level. Now I had some input on who could come to work for me, probably less so as a dead gum general, though, because especially with general officers, because other people well above me had ideas on where they needed to be and where they needed to go, and they may not fit what I wanted them to do. But I think the ability to continue to keep the team focused in, in football uh, analogy is to keep the team moving in the right direction every year. Uh, that's hard to do. So take, a, take an organization that is, you know, I led 50,000 soldiers at Fort Hood. Uh, with, you know, general officer leadership, colonel leadership, lieutenant colonel leadership, a whole bunch of tank battalions, infantry battalions. But the point is, those folks are turning over. Um, maybe not me so much, but they're turning over every, like you said, 18 to 24 months. So your ability to bring somebody into the team, absorb them, and that was really important. So think about that from a football standpoint. Your ability to absorb somebody into the team and turn them into a, a, a part of the team to continue the, the, the legacy or the, uh, the, the approach to success that you want. And so it was the same way in the Army. The ability to take somebody that the Army said, well, they're coming to you now. This other person's going to leave. Um, you may be comfortable with the old person, but now you're going to get this new person, guy or gal. And, and they're going to be on your team and you got to get them in there integrated and get them ready for, you know, it could be combat. It could be, okay, maybe we're not going to go, but we got to be prepared to go. So to me, that was really something that, you know, you're harking, you were asking me to kind of think back. Okay. was that's one of the ones I really had to learn early on, especially as a more senior leader, integrate the, the somebody into the team pretty quickly to get them moving in the right direction with us, understanding, inculcating them into the, the culture of what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. You just said a key word that I wanted to, to ask you about specifically. At When you think back from second lieutenant to three-star general, and I certainly can only go up part of that chain, but I, th I have my own opinions about it. When At what point do you believe as a senior leader, you begin to lose the ability directly to affect the culture, at least in the short term, because, you know, the, we've all seen it, sir, the command culture in some places, unfortunately, unravels and doesn't do well. Some places it's wonderful, but that culture, you know, it's like Nick Saban says, to use your example, he says, don't focus on the results, focus on the process. If the process is pure and you buy into the process, well, if a new soldier comes in and they're that that process of assimilation takes place and they learn that culture and buy into it, um, it, it makes a big difference. But at what point do you think for senior leaders, it's very difficult to reach down the chain of command and affect that culture in the short term? Yeah. Well, I can see, I could still do it. Um, for me, I could do it pretty much up to Colonel. 
Um, and the reason I say that is because, well, before my, for this organization I was fortunate enough to command, which was the 1st Brigade of the 4th Infantry at Fort Hood, um, I had the whole brigade right there. Now, there are some brigades that obviously are, are spread out, sure. as you know, in recruiting. Um, so for me, I was able to, I could talk to soldiers, I could take them on a brigade run, I could get the microphone and, and still talk to them. Now, did I have a day-to-day -day impact on them? No, but I could talk about Army values, I could talk about what was the topic of the day that I had on in my mind or my leadership's mind and where we needed to go. So I would argue that it, it my I was fortunate enough that I could do it there. Really hands-on would be the, the, lower, the, the lower level, which was battalion commander at the lieutenant colonel level. That was probably the last time I could really, really do it hands-on day in and day out. Brigade mm -hmm. command, not so much. So maybe once a week, a couple times a month. But I still had pretty good control from the standpoint. I want to say control in a, in a pejorative way, but just be able, my ability to control my ability to talk to my, our soldiers. Um, as a general officer, it got real hard. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, I, I, I loved commanding recruiting command, and I really did. Um, people go, well, you know, it's unfortunate you didn't get to command a division. Well, you know, as an operational guy, an armor guy, yeah, I would have loved to have commanded a division. But what I learned after being at recruiting command for six months was this is as good, as much fun, uh, but it's also more of a leadership challenge. Hey, amen. You know, five brigades, well, sixth when you had the medical brigade spread out. Literally, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching it a little bit all over the world. I mean, I commanded recruiting command for 22 months. I was on temporary duty, which I was away for the headquarters for 14. Wow. Which meant that I was on the road, you know, three, two thirds to three quarters of my time. And so what I learned to your point was my ability to have an influence on the organization was really tough. I used to tell this it's not really a joke, but I used to tell this story. So in a recruiting command, you know, well, the commanding general is usually there on a Monday. And then he or she, or in this case, he would go out on Monday or Tuesday morning, Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning, because you kind of set the azimuth for the headquarters for the week. Get your leadership guidance out to the staff and folks in your VTC. And then you head out to go see soldiers and talk to recruiters. You're trying to pump them up. Uh, and I would say something on Monday. And on Friday, I'd be out in a recruiting station talking to soldiers and I'd go, well, you know, not, and I wasn't trying to double check anybody's work. I just wanted to see how fast something would travel through the command. <laughs> so I could say on Monday, we're going to go right. And then on Friday, I might hear, sir, we're going to go left. <laughs> so I knew I had to become a better communicator. And I think that's an important point. So I learned probably later in, in, in my army career that I had to become a much better communicator and be very, very clear when I gave guidance and when I spoke because I wasn't going to get a lot more opportunities to stand in front of those young men and women and tell them it was, I was going to have to trust guys like you and other great senior leaders to get the word out. So communication became really, really, that's the second point, you know, from the standpoint of the ability to command and control. Now your ability to communicate becomes even that much more important. And you better be very careful with your words um, and sometimes even more careful with your actions. Exactly. You yeah, it's, I mean? it's, it's amazing how um, I saw several examples, uh, even to the senior leader level, 
uh, in my 23 years, see, which, you know, it's, you, you may be well-intended, but sometimes if your actions belie your words or your attitude, um, you know, it can undermine both your leadership as well as your reputation. And uh, it's, it's something that I certainly think that most guys and gals, once they get more senior in the military, become more crystal clear aware of it, uh, if not being reminded of it, that, you know, that they are cautioned. Uh, and, and I don't say that in a bad way, because it's, it's all part of good leadership. Um, it, it's just one of those things you really have to. And I, I, I won't go through it right now, but I learned that probably the most important lesson in communication that I ever had, um, unfortunately, had to, had to do with when I was a young staff major working for the commanding general of the 82nd Airborne Division and was undermined by a peer of mine. Uh, and, and it ended up getting my boss, uh, under, you know, taking out the legs out from under him in a briefing. And, um, and, and it was a great learning experience. And I was blessed to be working for a guy that taught me through that experience as opposed to punishing me for it. But uh, it was an awesome experience to go through nonetheless. When you, uh, when you take all those positive and negatives, the lessons learned, this, the stance on Army values, all those things that go into your experience, um, how do you think that those experiences and that perspective that you gain specifically as a senior leader um, kind of allow you and taught you to to serve others in, in a multitude of ways, not just going to do something nice, helping the little old lady across the street type service, but the service of the greater good and how we, any of us, whether we be veterans or, or just, you know, on a football team, how we can use that, those type experiences to build our own lives, you know, in service to others. Yeah. I think the, the higher up I was fortunate enough to go in rank, the more I came to realize, and I think I really learned it in recruiting command um, as a two-star and talking in terms of service. Um, I, I really came to the conclusion in my own mind that the most, in my opinion, this is my opinion, the most noble thing that you can do is, is serve your country. Because I used to tell men and women all the time, when I was fortunate enough to talk to them, that you're just not gonna get an opportunity to get rich uh, serving your country. Um, but you will get rich with experience and you will get rich uh, with opportunity. Um, and I told them also that if you take care of your resources um, and spend it wisely uh, and do some other things that you can come out of service doing pretty well. I used to point to, you know, my son-in-law's uh, uncle's a perfect example young sergeant, Desert Storm from Louisiana, uh, decided to uh, get out of the army for all the right reasons. He had done his time, served his country in combat, used the GI Bill to go back to school, went to school in Louisiana, mm -hmm. got his engineering uh, degree, got out. 20 years later, he's a high-end home builder in Naples, Florida, uh, and doing very well. I used to tell him, um, and now uh, I was retired, but I, when I met him and talked to him and heard his story, I was, man, I, was, I said, I wish I had known about you when I was in recruiting because you would have been perfect example of somebody that came into the Army for all the right reasons, left the Army for all the right reasons, 
took advantage of the opportunities from a schooling standpoint the Army gave you, and, and now look where you are. And he goes, the Army made me what I am. Um, and so there's a guy who looked at the service and took advantage of the opportunity. And I would argue that if you equate it to a sports analogy or football analogy, the same thing can occur, especially from a leader. If you talk to young men and women or men who play football and, and ask them um, who has had the most profound effect on you as a young person, you know, and looking back, let's say they're retired now, they played college and pro 20 or 30 years. I would venture to say that a good majority of them would say certainly their parents or a relative, but somebody pretty high on that list was probably that college or that professional coach because they talked them a thing or two about all the things, the army values that we talked about from loyalty all the way to personal courage. And that person had such an impact on them that they look back and they go, I want to give back like he gave to me. Now, how do I do that? Maybe I'm not coaching, but I'm going to have an impact on a young man or a young woman uh, or on a community of young men and women. And I think that's the value of service when you look at it in what sports in particular and what the Army did for me. As I look back now and I go, okay, you know, how can I help be part of something bigger? I don't do a lot of work. I do some volunteering. Um but, you know, you always want to give back. Uh, in my case, I want to give back to the folks that made a difference for me or, or in the community that I'm living in now. And I think that's just so important. It, it's so important when you talk in terms of service to look back and go, okay, I was successful, but who helped me get there? And what young man or woman could use my help as I look to the future? I mean, look at look at just some of the things that... that uh, you know, you could name a hundred football players, but what they do, I think it's really cool that the NFL has a man of the year. Now that's become more and more political every year. But when you look at some of the things that those each individual team nominates their top guy, and you look at what they're doing and you wonder how the heck are they even playing football? They're they're doing so much for their community, exactly. so much for those young men and women that they're helping, you know, and it may be they're helping uh, beat cancer. It may be they're helping a youth center. It may be they're helping um, veterans. It may be that they're, they're, they're going into senior citizen communities. Whatever they're doing, they're, they're doing it because they really want to. None of them, in my opinion, the guys that I'm looking at. I mean, you know, I was not a big Cam Newton fan. Uh, he had his problems at Florida, you know, got arrested. Okay got yep. kicked out of school, went to Auburn, did you know, junior college, uh, and then went on to Auburn, Heisman Trophy winner. Never wasn't a big fan until I got to North Carolina. I realized this guy is doing more for South Carolina, North Carolina, Charlotte metro area in the South Carolina uh, because he's made, an, he's made enough money for himself um, that, that he, he's given back. And it really, it really, and I really have a deeper appreciation for him uh, as a human being now because he's taken advantage of what his God-given talents have given him to make enough money to live on the rest of his life. But he's given back to that community in Charlotte and in South Carolina, and I think that's pretty, pretty damn cool um, for a guy to recognize that. Yeah, I've done fairly well, but 
it's not always about me. And some people think it is with Cam. You know, I got into an argument with somebody a few uh, years ago when the Panthers were pretty good and made the Super Bowl, and they were lamenting about his shoes that he would wear in pregame warm-ups. He never wore them in the game because, you know, the NFL, as they say, I still think it's a fun league. Some folks were calling it the no-fun league. But, they, but the shoes were used for warm-up. And what he would do is he would then auction them off, and somebody would get the money. And I told that person that may go, oh, that gives me a whole different perspective on him. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just circling back. I'll take it back to service and your ability to now give back, whether you're a veteran uh, and you want to help some folks or a veteran needs help or your community needs your help. And I think that's important. And that was that's something I learned through the years growing up in the Army and when you think in terms about you're really now you're helping another team, you're supporting another team. It may not be the team that you supported growing up for me, 36 and a half years in the army, but now you're supporting another team. And I think those guys are doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I agree, sir. I'm reading uh, Jeff Kemp's book right now called facing the blitz. And he talks about uh, the attitude uh, being a consumer versus an investor, the consumer attitude being, you know, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? The investor attitude, how do I invest in others and serve others in such a way that it, it, it prepares them for more? And what most folks don't realize, and, I don't, and I'm hard on myself, I don't feel like I do enough service, um, but what most folks don't think about is the more you give, it really is, it, it's, it's almost one of those universal things. It's, I think the more you give, the more you get. And I know I tried hard. I'm, I'm working on the initial strategy for writing a book called Creating Margin. And it was the, what I did is I stood at retirement ceremonies as a young soldier and as a young lieutenant a couple of times and heard someone senior say, well, honey, now I'm going to have time to spend with you and the kids. And I just wanted to jump up and, and yell, you know, it's too late. If you spent an entire army career and didn't do it, it's and so I worked very hard uh, especially in the young stages of my of my career, to make time for my family. And, and now that I've been retired for a few years, it's even cooler because my service now is focused back on them. And, and you know, I, I, my grandson and my kids that, that are all adults. And it's not just about, I mean, I love to be able to go out and help people in the community and do certain things and try to find ways to do that. But I think all of those things you mentioned are, are integral in, in really allowing us to develop as people and get an appreciation for, you know, the, uh, not only how other people operate, but also the, the way that we can help that sometimes just takes a little time. It doesn't mean you got to give something away or you've got to give them money or whatever, just your time, be in the moment, yeah. be present and, and try to show some empathy. And, and, you know, a lot of times that can lead to that service you're talking about. Well, and, and, I'll just add on to your point. So when um, when I became more senior and I started talking to young men and women that were coming into the units that I was commanding, especially as a general officer, uh, I'm going to hit home on your point, which was I used to tell young men and women, whether that, you know it was a brand new private at Fort Hood or it was a senior colonel, uh, now they probably weren't going to be as receptive to listening to me. They're already 30, you know, 25, 30 years in the Army. But my point to them was, you know, spend time with your family. You know, I, I am proud to say that 
I don't believe that I is looking back and I, you know, whether you view me as successful or not. And I would say this to them, I'm going to retire as a three star. So, you know, you decide whether I'm, whether I'm important or not, or how good I am. I'll let other people decide that. But my, my mantra was I'm going to go home when I can. And that was most nights and spend dinner with the kids. And that didn't make me a great person. I'd like to think it made me a better father and a better husband, but whether you do dinner or it, you just make time to spend with your kids and with your family. I said, because you don't want to, your point's so true. You don't want to look up after 20, 25, 30 years and go, now we get to spend time with each other or we get to know each other. No, you should have known them from the beginning. And that's the, also when you talk in terms of leadership, to me, that was really important that I set the key. You know, there were nights where I would walk, I could probably be at the headquarters another three, four hours. But I had a lot of young folks working for me that had young families. And to me, it was important that, you know, unless the chief of staff of the army is calling or we're going out the door tomorrow to combat or deploying, I could probably go home tonight and, and figure this out. Now, if it was really, really important, we may burn the midnight oil every once in a while. But it wasn't a matter of routine. That was the exception. And so it was really important um, for me to be able to walk out and make sure that other folks um, had the opportunity to do similar. Now, if they chose not to do it, then I would sit down and talk to them and say, look, take advantage of the opportunity. Once again, I always signed up for it. I never degrade anybody that had the misfortune of going through a bad marriage or getting divorced. I don't use that term. But my point was get to know your family because you'd want to stick with the one that you started with sure. as much as you can. Now, some folks for all the right reasons can't, I got that. I'm not degrading that people make poor decisions, but if you've made the right decision and things work out at 20, 25 years, you want to be able to say, yeah, we do know each other fairly well. I'm proud to say that after 41 years of marriage and two kids, 31 and 34 an hour, soon to be 31 and 34, I'm pretty comfortable that we did fairly well. Sure, sure. But I had examples myself. I had leaders that allowed me to do that. So I was pretty fortunate. Well, and I think that uh, I feel the same way. And and it's probably the most gratifying is that at some point in time, all four of my adult children separately and, and privately have in one way or another indicated to me that they thoroughly enjoyed growing up as an army brat. They enjoyed the lifestyle. and And I don't think that would be the case if I had not espouse the type attitude you're talking about and gotten out of the headquarters when I could and spent time with them. For me, it was coaching them in sports. And, uh, you know, I, I was very blessed to have leaders that I worked for who were uh, empathetic with that and in terms of that being good quality time for me. But, and, and, you know, of course, you got to deliver, you got to produce results, but yeah. uh, it's, it's all part of the game. So I, uh, I wanted to touch base with you real quick on this past season, you know, uh, Kansas state, uh, what I would argue had a successful year at eight and four. And of course they've got, I think it's the Liberty bowl coming up yeah. on the 31st, yeah. but probably the most premier win that school's had in a number of years was beating Oklahoma 48 to 41. What were your thoughts on this year's uh, season for the Wildcats in terms of where, where they'd come from and where they're going? Well, um, well, they, they exceeded uh, this this fan's expectations. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, when we when, when Bill Snyder stepped down last year, um, after you know many many successful years and really two stints at K State, sure. with a three year hiatus, um, 
it, 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 the university, you know, I was, I was optimistic that we could hire uh, a big name. Uh, but then I realized that the athletic director um, had come from North Dakota State. The university was interviewing a whole host of folks. My choice was Brent Venables, the defensive quarter at Clemson. He's a K-State sure. red. But, uh, you know, Brent, he, <laughs> Brett, excuse me, he's making more money than the law allows as the defensive coordinator. So, and he's very, very happy there. And I don't know if at some point he'll, you know, take over for Dabo or what the opportunities are. Um, but then I, then it dawned on me, you know, K-State's a, a really tough place to recruit to. A uh, small little community. Kansas City is about two hours away. Wichita's two hours south. Not that Manhattan's a great little town. Don't get me wrong. Wonderful town. A lot of things to do. And I'd go back there and live in a heartbeat. Uh, but I live on the beach and I like it better there. Um, so to get a, a top name there was going to be difficult. Sure. Um, but to get uh, Kluman from North Dakota State, who you know, I guess won three or four national championships at North Dakota State. They're playing again in early in January for the championship at uh, what I call the D2 level. I guess it's the FCS level. And when I saw the university put out a video of uh, the new coach flying in from North Dakota, but he was still going to coach North Dakota State in, in, in uh, the championship game. But they, they chronicled him for the first like 48 hours. Then he went back to Fargo or wherever they are. And finish coaching them and he's recruiting now because remember national signing day is coming up. Sure. Um, I'm getting to my point, but long story short, uh, to go eight and four, the only thing I lament is we had an opportunity to go 10 and two. Um, we lost to a fairly average West Virginia team at home in a game we should have won. Um, and we let Texas game slip away down here. Yeah. Um, that was a tough loss. That was a tough to lose on a field goal with no time left. Um, so eight and four, um, uh, an underdog in the Liberty Bowl against Navy and probably rightfully so. I mean, that young man, that uh, Malcolm Perry quarterback in Navy ran for 300 plus yards against army. Yeah. Um, an amazing athlete. He's going to be, and we don't, we don't face offenses like that. We do have some people on the coaching staff who have coached at an academy so they have a background in a defense in you know how to put a game plan together to stop something like that because you play army and air force every year uh but that's going to be a challenge um you've got to keep the ball away from that offense uh they don't pass a lot but they're good enough in passing to keep you honest and the motions and you you know people today go well how the heck is a running game like that so successful there's a ton of motion and a lot of deception and a really sure. good athlete. Sure. You know, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's pretty incredible that it has continued to live as long as it has. And probably when you look across the, the landscape of non-military academy major universities, Georgia Tech is the only one that really continued to do it, uh, run the, you know, what's essentially the triple option type offense. A uh, few small schools maybe, but that's yeah. it. Hey, yeah. sir, I got to tell you, um, this has been a lot of fun for me, uh, not only uh, to gain from from your perspective and your uh, experience, but also the degree to which uh, you have the ability uh, to link it all, you know, and, and kind of weave that thread in and out between 
you know, the sports, in this case, football and, and the military. And I think there are so many parallels that, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly understandable that, that we have a lot of football junkies within the, within the Army and, and the military in general, and that there are a lot of great soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who benefited from playing the game of football that take that experience into, you know, using it in their leadership journey as they go through the service. So thank you for your service. Thank you for your time and being here. Really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, albeit you know, in retirement, we, a busy schedule takes on a different connotation for each of us, yeah. but uh, thank you very much. John, thank you. Great talking to you today. I appreciate the opportunity. Good luck with the podcast and everything you're doing to support the, the great game of football. Well, I hope that we're going to get enough traction eventually to be able to make more of a linkage uh, with, you know, a lot of great veterans as well. So we'll, we'll keep pushing the envelope and see what happens, but thanks very great. much. All right, John, take care. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to save this episode to your favorites and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, remember, whatever you do in football, do it for the good of the game.